to you live from the Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge studio downtown in the capital city on this Thursday. Thursday show is always brought to you by Rouse's. We are working towards the weekend. Got Casey Gaines and Jacob Beck back there on the ones and twos. I got some Friday energy today, quite frankly, because I'm working tomorrow. Uh, So we're feeling good about this Thursday show, uh, ready to roll for the next two hours. Luke Johnson in his normal spot in 15 minutes, talking about the Saints as they get ready for Indianapolis. I'll make a pick on that game at the end of the show. Matt McMahon met with the media yesterday as he gets ready for year two with the LSU basketball program. My SEC picks for the weekend against the spread coming up at 2 o'clock. Uh, Chris Blair is going to be with us at 2.15. No coaches show tonight with the bye week, but uh, Chris Blair will be with us at 2.15, talking Tigers. So excited uh, for the next two hours and appreciate you hanging out with us. Uh, Reminder, I'll be at Rouse's today from 3 to 5. Right when I get off the air, I'm headed to the Rouse's uh, Burbank and Levy, hanging out there from 3 to 5 o'clock, giving out gift cards and shirts and hats and whatnot um, during match show. So we'll enjoy uh, some time out there on this Thursday, usually a Friday thing. But this week it'll be on Thursday. And if you're watching us on YouTube, you'll see our cool new Rouse's panels that we've got here on our set. Appreciate them for bringing you our Thursday shows. As we talked to LSU football for the last three months on this show, uh, I can tell you personally, I've talked a ton about Jaden Daniels and how excellent he's been. I've talked a ton about Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas becoming a force on the outside and Logan Diggs emerges as a running back and the excellent play of the offensive line. I've talked about the consistency with the offenses played. It's been a huge talking point on the show. I've also spent a ton of time talking about the woes of the defense, the injuries, the inefficiencies on defense, the shuffling deck at linebacker, and what's going on in the back end. Like, we've talked a lot about that. We've previewed opponents. Like, we've spent a ton of time talking LSU football on this show. I can't speak for everyone else, but I listen to the morning show guys most mornings. I listen to Jimmy and Charlie most days. I listen to Matt most days. Not their whole shows, but some. I haven't heard a lot about special teams. Have not heard a lot about special teams. And that's probably a really good thing. Because guess what we did a lot last year? Talk about special teams garbage. Muffin punts, dropping kickoffs, getting field goals and extra points blocked. Penalties, holding, clipping, terrible coverage units. The whole thing was awful. And we talked about it a ton. Thus far... Not really a talking point. And that led me down like a rabbit hole today. I'm going, all right, well, how how has it been? Because I can't certainly go back and recall every special team snap they've had. And feels like that's probably a good thing. But let's just go check it out. So I did. Punting has been excellent. Here's a little nugget on the punting. I was sitting at my computer this morning going over these numbers and preparing them for this segment. And I went, Bramlett, Bramlett. What's his first name? And I was thinking, like, James? It took me, like, 20 seconds to come up with Jay Bramlett's first name. I feel like that's probably a good thing. (laughs) 
He's not out there all that often. But he's been great. LSU has only punted 15 times to this point, which is unbelievable. But they've punted 15 times. Bramblin is averaging 42.3 yards per punt, which is good. And LSU has only allowed one punt to be returned at all this entire season. That was a three-yard return. That's excellent work. By a guy who's really done excellent work in his entire collegiate career over two stops at Notre Dame and LSU. But that's about as good as you can do. Average 42 a kick. Only one's been returned. You're doing your work there on the punt unit and the punt coverage unit that's forcing a bunch of a fair catch. LSU has kicked off 66 times. Been a little more action for the kickoff crew than the punt crew this year, the way the offense has played. Only 27% of LSU's kickoffs have been returned this year, 18 of them. And that average return has been 19.5 yards. So you figure they're not returning a bunch out of the end zone. You're catching it somewhere around the five-yard line, and folks are getting to right about the 25, which is what it would be for a touchback. That unit's doing a pretty good job. Only two of the 18 kickoff returns that LSU has allowed thus far have gone for 30-plus yards. State had a 39-yarder, uh, and Grambling had a 35-yarder. That's it. Nobody's run it 40 yards. So I would suggest, because I had forgotten about the Grambling 35-yard return, if we're being quite honest. I do remember the Mississippi State return. But outside of that, you've done a nice job of kicking it down there. A lot of times it's a, kick, uh, a, a touchback, and then sometimes you're having to tackle them, and you're doing that in 20 yards. And I would suggest that's a really good job. So your kicking units from punting and kicking off are doing a very good job, and I would suggest your kicker is doing a solid job. Damian Ramos this year is 11 out of 13. That's 85%. He's only missed once from inside of, of 30. That was a 23-yard miss against Grambling. Hand up. I don't even remember that. Second week of the season, I was probably watching Alabama-Texas in the press box. I, I didn't see that. I don't remember the 23-yarder. I, I just That one slipped my mind. Um, but outside of that one, he's perfect from inside of 30. He's perfect from inside of 40. He's perfect from inside of 50, and he missed the 156-yarder at Ole Miss. So he's only missed two times all year, a chip shot and a scrimmage against Grambling, and then a 56-yarder against Ole Miss. That's that's rock solid. So between Bramlett punting, Dybert kicking off, and Ramos kicking, you've been really good in that area. And then you switch to the return game. Kickoffs are uh, kickoff returns are becoming more and more rare. You've just got bigger, stronger kickoff guys. They're booming it through the end zone. That's encouraged by the rules committee, who doesn't want kickoff returns anyway. So, look, there aren't a ton of statistics to point to on kickoff returns. LSU is one of three teams in the conference that's got a 50-yard return. There are only three teams in the conference that have busted one on a kickoff return. And instead of going to statistics further than that, I would just suggest that we're watching the games. Caleb Jackson looks pretty good on kickoff return. I, I think he does a good job. I trust him. He's strong. He carries the ball with uh, ball security, and he's got speed to hit it if there's a, a hole that opens up. I don't think it's worth going much deeper than that. I think anyone listening here, y'all are LSU fans, you're watching the games. Do you have a problem with Caleb Jackson returning kickoffs? I don't think anybody else does either. The punt return issue of this is really the one that is a bit of a bugaboo to me in a vacuum. Um, you've only returned three punts all year. In 29 that have been punted to you. Now, some of those you're pinning inside the five and you're not going to catch, and some of those are shanks. You know, we had, had one of those. But, like, three returns out of 29 kicks, not great. 
they muffed one against Florida State. LSU's just for for two years now been completely devoid of trying to make a play on punt returns. And in a vacuum, that really bums me out because as you'll hear me say most August, like I could go out to the practice field and point at 15 guys immediately that could be great punt returners. There's just, they're a dime a dozen at LSU. You've got so many elite athletes that play corner, that play wide receiver, that play running back, even sometimes to play safety like Chad Jones. That you should, in my estimation, have somebody back there that can change the game. That's in a vacuum because it's available to you. If we actually add some context to that statistic, with this offense, I'm okay with it. There have been two times in the history of the school since I've been watching that I'm okay with it. If the 2009 team wants to call a fair catch on their own three-yard line, I'll live with it. If this team wants to call a fair catch on their own 15, I'll live with it. But the point being, we don't need an explosive play from the punt return team. There are plenty of times where LSU has needed it. How about the 2011 team? Think Tyron affected the Arkansas game? Think Tyron affected the Georgia game? How about Mo Claver on kickoff return against West Virginia? And you can go back. Odell Beckham punt return against Ole Miss. Trenton Holiday had him against Arkansas and against Ole Miss kickoff returns. Like games that LSU was. They were back and forth, and LSU needed one of their great athletes, the one I could walk onto the practice field and point to 15 of them, to go back there and do something. Change this game. And there are plenty on this team, too. But one of them wears number five, and they snap it to him, so let's just let it be, right? So in summation, I don't know how much credit Bob Diaco gets. I think a fair amount. I don't know how much blame you want to put on Brian Polian. I think a fair amount even though there were some things I thought that were out of his control. But Brian Kelly saw a problem, immediately addressed it with the first guy he brought here, Brian Polian. We're addressing this. And he didn't let pride get in the way. They brought in a new coach, brought in a new voice. And I know there's been some other shakeups on the staff that you were going to have some other guys do these things. But this is the result through eight weeks and I don't have any complaints. I wish they didn't muff a punt against Florida State. I'd love it if if that 56-yarder against Ole Miss went through the uprights. Man, it'd be sick if they had three punt return touchdowns now. But in totality, this unit has performed very well. And I think the fact that we don't talk about it at all is indicative of that. Good on you, LSU special teams. For more often than not, you just need to be dead-level average at this. And you should have a really good offense. You should have a really good defense. You should be one of the most talented teams in the country year in and year out. Don't Just don't need your special teams to throw up on themselves. Muff kicks against Florida State in the Superdome. Drop the opening kickoff against Tennessee. Get an extra point blocked against Florida State. Like, Don't do catastrophic things, and you should be in pretty good shape. And this team's doing a really nice job. So hat tip to the LSU special teams who we haven't really talked about at all here. Our um, Thursday show is brought to you by Rouse's. Rouse's Supermarkets, official grocer and supermarket of the New Orleans Saints. If you're watching LSU next weekend or you're watching the Saints in Indianapolis this weekend, you want to have a watch party and go get your groceries, you just need your groceries for the weekend, there's a Rouse's location near you that can make that so, so easy. All you got to do is download the Rouse's app, do your shopping on that app, let your personal shopper go handle it. 
You pull up, they come right out curbside, hand it to you. Can't get any easier than that over at Rouse's Markets. Appreciate them for bringing you our Thursday shows. When we come back, Luke Johnson on the black and gold. It's the Hunt Palmer Show. You are now listening to the Hunt Palmer Show. Get ready to start the NFL week off right, because right now all customers get a no-sweat same-game parlay for Thursday night football tonight. Just place a three-leg same-game parlay on this week's game. Got the Bills and the Bucks, and you get bonus bets back if you don't win. NFL same-game parlays are the perfect way to combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payday. Build your own or choose from one of the popular same-game parlays pre-built for you in FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. Visit FanDuel.com slash 1045ESPN so you don't miss out on your chance to get a no-sweat same-game parlay on America's number one sportsbook. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 and present in Louisiana. Refund issues, knowledge, and bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt. Max refund, $5 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. If you're somebody who has a gaming problem wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. You're listening to the Hunt Palmer Show, brought to you by Rouse's Supermarkets. Moving right along here on this Thursday. Every Thursday, we head out to the Jim's Firearms Hotline chat with our guy, Luke Johnson, who kind of had the weekend off last weekend. Was that enjoyable, sir? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was great, man. My, my dad uh, came down from Wisconsin to meet my daughter for the first time. It was really nice, just kind of... Uh, not thinking about the Saints football team for a couple days, and uh, now we're back at it. We're ready to go. I'm I'm ready to bring some heat today, man. Oh boy, heat! Well, last week before the loss to the Jaguars, said how are the vibes? You said they were terrible. I can't imagine they're a lot better today. No, they're not. Um, I I think um, look, I, I don't think this team is at a point where they're uh, they're kind of coming apart at the seams. Yeah, like like I think they have some really good leadership on this team. Um, but look, there's no denying that this has been an incredibly frustrating season for everybody involved. It's frustrating for the defense. knowing they've got to be just like on their absolute a game every day. Um, it's frustrating for this offense because yeah, you just see all this talent. You wonder why it doesn't work. Um, and yeah, you, I, I think the body language for a lot of those guys has been pretty bad, like noticeably bad. Um, so, I mean, they've got to like have these leaders get this thing back on track. Cause it, yeah, this, this has the potential to just go downhill, uh, especially just considering but these are teams they should be beating if, if they are as good as they think they are. Um, and, and if they are not able to, to get this thing done, I, I just, you know, I just don't like where it's at. You mentioned the body language and, and certainly that's been evident to all of us. Does that spill over into the interview room into the practices that y'all see, or is it just something that hey, in the heat of the moment, some guys get a little heated? Yeah, I think it's that. Uh, I, I think for the most part, uh, these uh, the, the players have, have kind of left their frustrations on the field, like they haven't boiled over and uh, you know been really demonstrative or anything in, in the, the locker room or anything like that. I mean, we've seen you know Alvin Kamara and, and some others just you know after these games, like in the immediate aftermath of these games, call people out, you know, not by name, but say like, hey, you need to get your stuff together. You know, you, you need to be on on your p's and q's and and be prepared for these games because if you're not, like this is the the result. But I think as they kind of get further away from the games, like they're all saying the right things. You know, Derek Carr was out there yesterday, talked to us for almost 20 minutes, and he fielded a lot of questions about like, hey, are are you as the 150 million dollar face of the franchise supposed to be on national TV yelling at the receivers? You know, I think he had all the right things to say about it. I think you could probably 
maybe disagree on whether he was being fully honest with everybody, but he, he said the right things. Um, so at least publicly facing, they, they're saying they're optimistic and they're confident about, about where this is going to go. We're not seeing it all, all this kind of bad vibes spill over and, uh, and uh, you know, people call each other out in the media. Does anyone care that Chris Olave is speeding in Kenner? Um, I mean, I think they care in the sense that, like, look, they've got a lot invested in the guy, and and they believe, uh, you know, he's one of their best players, and he can't be doing, you know, reckless, dumb stuff. I, I mean, look, I, I think Chris Olave is a really smart person. Um, I think he's a good person. I don't think this makes him a bad person, but like, uh, you can't be driving. 70 and a 35 in a residential area like that is stupid behavior um and this isn't the first time he's he's been cited for speeding i mean two months ago he got a 54 and a 35 so like he needs to be smarter and the team is telling him that he needs to be smarter and and like you don't have to go back very far to see somebody's career be derailed and somebody's life be ended because they were acting a fool behind the wheel henry ruggs a first round draft pick bright future He's going 115 miles an hour or whatever it was, and he killed somebody. It's you can't be doing that. It, it, no matter whether you're Chris Olave making however much money he's making a year, or you're you and me. It's 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 behavior that's not really acceptable. Um, but you know, I, I think they are confident um, that he's going to be able to kind of put this behind him. But look, 23 year olds are going to do stupid stuff every now and then. Uh, it's just you you would hope the stupid stuff is not putting himself or somebody else in danger. That's the exact word I used when I saw it. I saw the arrest. I said, that's, that's stupid, but thankfully uh, it's over and nobody was hurt. And you hope that there's a little bit of a learning curve there uh, for, for a young player. All right. Uh, did they find anything on offense in the fourth quarter against Jacksonville? Or was that a deal where Jacksonville had a lead and they were kind of playing soft? Uh, you know, I think they did find something. They, you know, they were kind of forced to go into hurry up there. And uh, yeah, I think they, they found something that worked for them. Like they were on the attack. Um, yeah, they were, they were pressing Jacksonville. They weren't doing all the personnel groupings and, uh, you know, allowing the Jaguars to kind of sub people in and out. They weren't going slow. And I think obviously you can't do that for 60 minutes in a football game, but I think you can incorporate that into the first, second, third quarter. Um, you don't have to wait until you're down by 15 points to get things going. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think there's something they can take from that, but you know, it's just, like this is kind of the story of the season. It's like, can they actually, for once, just consistently put something together? Um, because it's just <laughs> every time it looks like they do something good, it's you know, they come out the next week and they're flat for three quarters. And you're just like, well, is this ever going to happen? I mean, I'm not optimistic. The team's optimistic, but I, you know, it's like I've been waiting half a season for this offense to show a sign of life, and it's just uh, it's it's just like little heartbeats and every now and then. It's nothing nothing really major. So I look at yesterday's practice report, and from the injury standpoint, Ryan Ramchick was a limited participant, so he was back. James Hurst did not practice yesterday. So what do we think the offensive line kind of looks like on Sunday? If I were to guess, I would imagine Ryan Ramchick's going to be back out there. Now, this is like a concussion, so you never really know with this. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've seen guys practice all week coming off a concussion, and then they don't play in the game. So I feel like there's a good chance he's going to be out there, which is obviously huge. Um, I, I think Cam Irving played a nice game, but there's a big gap between him and Ryan Ramchick as a right tackle. Um, left tackle, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't think James Hurst is going to play this week. Uh, so I would fully expect to see Andres Pete back out there. 
uh, making his second start at left tackle since 2018. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, we'll see how that goes. He didn't give up a sack this week uh, going up against a really, really good pass rusher in Josh Allen, but uh, did give up a lot of pressures. And I think they were able to kind of scheme some stuff to help him out. Um, I, I don't know if that holds up over multiple games. Uh, we'll have to see. I just, it's, that's a tough spot for him to be in. Oh, this is Monday morning, morning quarterback, just to a T here. But I sit here and I think about all I heard about with Jimmy Graham in August about his size and ability in the red zone. And then what I've seen from Taysom Hill over the last half decade and his effect on just running the ball, especially in the red zone. Should we expect to see those two guys at the point of the field where the Saints have been the worst over the last few weeks? Uh, well, I mean, I would have expected to see Jimmy Graham there all season. Yeah. Um, and it's like the whole reason they brought him in. I, like, I, I don't think they cared about what he did in, in, from, you know, in between the twenties. Um, I think it was all like, Hey, this guy has caught a billion touchdowns in his career and, uh, you know, might be 38 years old or however old he is, but he's still six, six. Um, yeah, that's, that's like felt like the whole reason they brought him in and uh, he's gotten one red zone target so far this year. It was a touchdown and that's it. Um, yeah. And yeah, with Taysom Hill, I mean, like I was just having this conversation with somebody else the other day. It's like, how, how is it that like you have this guy who's like skill is built for that area of the field uh, and you are a terrible red zone offense and he like just doesn't touch the ball down there um, unless he's like in a route, which is you know, the worst part of his skill set. Um, so I, I just, uh, yeah, I don't really get, I would expect it because it seems obvious. It just hasn't played out. You know, they they've have been like much more willing to run these goal line fades of a low uh, percentage throw than to, than to just like let Taysom Hill run the ball. And look, I, they they had what one red zone touchdown last week, and it was Taysom Hill. I know. It's like it, it's it's the one of the last things on the 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 number of sports that I cover. One of the last things I critique is football X's and O's. I'm far more adept at criticizing pitching changes or late shot clock situations on a basketball court. Like I don't do a lot of criticizing football coaches. because I've never been anywhere near that world, but like this just seems like Pete Carmack's doing a bad job. I don't know another way to say it. It just, everything I see looks bad. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I, I agree with you to, to extent like when the offense is underperforming for two years under you know, one guy's play caller, like he deserves a huge brunt of the criticism. And I think you can see it manifest itself down in the red zone when, you know, it's a, it's a gotta have it play games in the line fourth down and they're, you know, quarterbacks throwing off his back foot uh, on a low percentage throw. And I just why are you calling that in that situation? I, I don't understand it, but uh, I also think that this is not all on Pete Carmichael. Um, I, I think the players have had a lot to do with this. Um, just not performing up to their level, not, executing things i mean you see you see the things that are wide open all the time yeah. <laughs> this Saints team scheme isn't that bad you guys have to execute it at some point that is true sunday would be a nice time to start the colts defense statistically is bottom third of the nfl when you look at this matchup against the colts defense what do you see for the saints well, look, if the Cleveland Browns, who have not been a very good offensive team this year, are going in there with their backup quarterback and putting up 39 points against this team, like, Saints have to be able to move the ball, right? I, I mean, it's, like, it's, it is imperative for them to get it done this week. Cause I, I think, actually, the Colts have a pretty good offense, uh, especially as a, a rushing attack. 
Um, they gashed the Browns, who are awesome on defense. Uh, Tennessee went into that game having not given up 80 yards on the ground all season, and they put up like 190 against them on the ground. Like, they're a good offense. They're going to score some points against the Saints team. Um, so, like, yes, they're they're vulnerable, especially on the back end. Uh, we'll just see if the Saints are actually able to take advantage of this because this is, like, I, I just – it's really hard to be optimistic about this offense. <laughs> like, they've shown almost nothing this year that would give you any hope that, 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 like, yeah, it's right around the corner. As much as they say, like, hey – we see the plays, they're there. We could make it if, if we make these plays. It's a completely different story. It's like, okay, you can say that, but like until you start to show it, I'm not going to believe it. I would tend to agree with you. Enjoy Indy, sir. We'll do it next week. Sounds good, man. That is Luke Johnson with the Advocate uh, Saints beat writer. I, like, I'm I'm serious about that. Like, you, you just heard me say that I I spent a lot of last year defending some of some of not all some of what the LSU special teams was doing with. Brian Polian because I didn't I thought it was the players that were just doing awful things and Luke watches the tape every single week and says there are guys open so it's not all on Pete Carmel but I look at just some of the stuff that just seems so easy and like to me it just seems like a simple thing that instead of chucking up a goal line fade to six foot one Chris Olave who's a great athlete like you got the six six guy that you kept when you did decided you were going to keep three tight ends four tight ends you want to count Juwan Johnson and then obviously Graham and Taysom and, and Foster like so you're going to keep four tight ends. Like, how about the six six guy? And then Luke brings a stat that goes, he's had one red zone target this year, and he scored. Taysom Hill has been running the ball in the red zone for years, and now it's not there, and we're throwing <laughs> throwing a bunch of fades. That just looks awful to me. Um, but they've had, had a little bit of a mini-buy here, and they head up to Indy, and we'll see if they can get something done up there against the Colts team um, that does, does run the ball well but does not have a very good defense, so we shall see. Uh, yesterday I saw basically the most pointed quote I've seen in a year and a half. I'll tell you who said it and what it was next. The Hunt Palmer Show. LWCC is Louisiana loyal. As we tell you every day, they're elevating and celebrating champions of Louisiana. The whole goal of this Champions of Louisiana program is to highlight great people, great businesses, great nonprofit organizations doing great things in our state. Marucci Sports Certainly one of those. They help us in terms of tourism with thousands coming to the Marucci World Series every single year in Baton Rouge in the late summer. They have brought talent here to work in their baseball performance labs. It's not just a company that saws a bunch of bats and ships them up to the White Sox and, and the Dodgers. Nope, far from it. They are a shining star in our state. That's why LWCC calls them a champion of Louisiana. If you know of a champion of Louisiana and want us to tell their story, we can do it. Go to lwcc.com slash champions and nominate a champion of Louisiana, and we'll tell you about him right here on the Hunt Palmer Show. Marucci Sports is a champion of Louisiana. LWCC is Louisiana loyal. This is the Hunt Palmer Show, brought to you by Rouse's Supermarkets. My picks for the SEC football games against the spread coming up at the top of our number two. Hope y'all's Thursday is going well. We are working towards the bye weekend here on the Hunt Palmer Show, our Thursday shows, brought to you by Rouse's. Basketball season is rapidly approaching tonight. The uh, Lady Tigers will play an exhibition against East Texas Baptist University. 
I'm actually very familiar with ETBU. A couple of uh, the girls in my high school, we had, we had a great team. I uh, ended up going there to play, and they'll take on the Lady Tigers in an exhibition in the PMAC tonight. Uh, and the men will be in action on Monday in exhibition. Matt McMahon met with the media yesterday, and he gave a quote yesterday, unlike any quote I have heard him really give uh, over the last year and change as the head coach at LSU basketball. And it was in regards to handling the adversity that was last year, understanding where they are as a program and where they want to go, and understanding kind of where LSU's basketball program sits today in this new era of transfer portal and and high school recruiting and what that may look like in all the SEC. And I, I thought this was just an incredibly pointed soundbite that I'm going to have some comments on, but this is Matt McMahon on the big picture here. The reality, you know, there are a lot of them there. Number one, you know, didn't win at the level that I expect to win at, uh, nor at the level our fans deserve a year ago. Uh, probably the second reality is Coach Wade did a good job here at LSU. They won a lot of games during his time. Uh, reality three, when I got here in April, all of that was gone. No players, no foundation, no culture, no nothing. So it was essentially a little bit of a dumpster fire, and we have to go about a methodical process of rebuilding it. The other reality is you know, there was an NCAA investigation hanging over the program that was a black cloud and, and made it very challenging uh, to start a program over from scratch. That's now complete, and that's over. And so the perspective is I love the direction we're going. We're going to recruit at a high level. Uh, we're going to build an army of people that are going to support LSU basketball as we re rebuild the program moving forward. I love that clip. I, I don't know. I don't remember him mentioning Will Wade ever in an interview. And he did yesterday. And I don't have any qualms with anything he just said there. He said, we did not win at the level that I expect to last year and that's that's undeniable they they were they were the worst team in the SEC last year I think and Will Wade did do a good job here at LSU he won a lot of games he got people caring about basketball LSU was a perennial NCAA tournament team that challenged for and did win the SEC like you all know this but he's not wrong when he says that that winning culture was gone when he got here okay so the goal is to dig out of it and he's not Will Wade He's never going to be Will Wade. Matt McMahon is not going to jump up and down and slam water bottles on the ground and yell and scream. That's just not who he's going to be. You know who else doesn't yell and scream and throw stuff everywhere? Jay Johnson. You know who else has been about the most mellow guy I've ever seen since he got on campus? It's Brian Kelly. You don't have to do it one exact way. And there are so many people who I think through a combination of of being happy with the winning that Will Wade was doing, disappointed with the way that LSU's administration handled the end of that, and then they take into account the fact that Matt McMahon doesn't look anything like Will Wade, and they were the worst team in the league last year, and they've taken that bundle of information and said, this guy sucks. I think there are a lot of people who fall into that, into that, that line of thinking. We had a coach... I liked him. He was doing what everybody else was doing. The administration chickened out on the NCAA, fired him. They screwed the whole thing up, and then they hired a guy from Murray State, and we, we look up and we're the worst team in the league. Like, that's what they think. And I'm not telling you that Matt McMahon's going to be awesome. He might finish last of the SEC his entire tenure here. 
I don't know. But I'm not going to hold Will Wade against him, his demeanor as opposed to Will Wade against him, or the way the athletic administration handled LSU basketball against him. I'm going to look at Matt McMahon's body of work. Last year, he had no chance to assemble a reasonable roster, in my opinion. They were bad, as I expected them to be. And I thought there were some things that I didn't like on the court, and there were some things that I did like on the court. But I'm wiping it clean. And this year, I don't expect awesome things from the LSU basketball team. I'd love to be wrong. Nobody expected squat from Missouri last year. They were really fun and good. They shot a bunch of threes. They won a lot of games. They made the tournament. Nobody expected anything from Mississippi State last year. They had a couple of nice non-conference wins, got into league play, sniffed 500, and got to Dayton. So it can be done. I'm not suggesting it's impossible. But in my evaluation, mine personally, of the LSU basketball program, like I'm looking around and just trying to see where I think things are headed. I thought this transfer portal class, highly rated, skilled offensively. Is it top half of the SEC good to me? No. But I look at some of the recruiting Matt McNan's doing, and I, I kind of think that that is encouraging. And I think that there's reason to believe that this could be a guy who's getting his feet on the ground and starting to create some positive momentum. We'll see. McMahon was asked what he wants out of this team this year and year two. I want us to play with relentless effort, bring great energy, and, and I think especially when you're trying to blend a lot of guys who maybe have been the leading scorer or second leading scorer on their team, uh, you have to play with great unselfishness. So I think that has to be the foundation. Uh, those things enable you to build chemistry, uh, and then once you have that foundation in place, then you can really get to the strategy and the schemes and what's going to be best for us from an offensive and defensive standpoint to give us opportunity to win games. Relentless effort is an absolute non-negotiable because you've got some guys on this team that are young that are going to be here for a couple of years. I'm not just talking about freshmen you brought in or just Tyrell Ward and Jalen Reed who are sophomores. I'm talking about, I mean, Carlos Stewart's a young player. Like there are transfers they brought in that that have that that are not that are not old. So, you know, you could have Stewart back next year. Jalen Cook could be back next year. I mean, you're not gonna have Jordan Wright back. You're not gonna have Will Baker back. But you, you've got some guys that, that need to be part of the next team that need to create a culture of winning and and working really hard. That's a non-negotiable. Wins and losses, we'll see how they come. But McMahon talked about kind of the talent and how they're gonna create this team you know just having an, an older group of experienced players I believe it's somewhere seven or eight of our guys are in their fourth or fifth year playing college basketball uh, we tried to be very intentional in doing that we, we obviously hope that leads to uh, some outstanding player leadership uh, from some guys who have proven themselves at a high level you know they're multiple all-conference players uh, multiple 1,000 plus point scores, uh, and now we need to take this collection of talented people and, and build them into a team. Those older guys he's talking about, as I just mentioned, Mwani's uh, you know, a senior, Jordan Wright's a grad student, Will Baker's a grad student, uh, Hunter Dean, who's going to be a depth piece in the front court, is a grad student. Um, so you've got, Derek Fountain is a senior. Like you've got some, you do have a lot of older guys. Trey Hannibal is a fifth-year senior as well. There are a number of older guys, and, and so – You've got a blend there. There are some youth. There is some youth. There is some experience, and there is there is some talent. There's a lot of offensive talent. 
This is something that's been really the main talking point with LSU basketball. And we haven't talked a lot of LSU basketball, but this is the, the reality of the situation. Is it the guy who was really supposed to make this entire thing go from an offensive perspective and a ball handling perspective is Jalen Cook. You know that. He spent time here. He's been at Tulane. And you understand that they haven't made a ruling on his eligibility yet. And Matt McMahon talked about what they're doing to handle that situation while it's still in flux. I think it involves two different styles of play uh, in some ways, especially on the offensive end of the floor uh, where Jalen uh, at the point guard position is a heavy ball screen usage player who's been really effective there scoring the ball and also uh, from an assist standpoint over his career, uh, whereas some of our other guards uh, flourish more uh, in dribble handoff situations or stagger screens and, and things of that nature. So uh, that has caused us to need to keep a balance of doing both uh, depending on how that situation plays out. That's going to be – I don't want to be hyperbolic – if he's ruled ineligible, and I have my sincere doubts whether or not he's going to be eligible, that's going to be worth to my to me like two or three SEC games. I'm I'm being realistic here. He's the only really true point guard on your team. Trey Hannibal's not a point guard. He has no threat from the outside, and he, he hasn't been a great passer. Although he did throw pass the ball well in in the summer in their uh, in their uh, Bahamas games. Carlos Stewart's been a scoring guard his entire life and was that out West, he would probably have to run some point for you as well. Jordan Wright is 6'6", 230. He's not exactly a prototypical point guard. He can handle the ball a little bit. He will turn it over, but you can count on him to calm things down and not make a panic play. So it's a big deal. Like Tyrell Ward's not a point guard. So he was the one guy that you could count on to run the point. I don't think I don't think he's going to be eligible. I've said that before times. There's too, there's too much evidence nationally about this kind of stuff that I, I have my doubts. So, again, we're going to talk about basketball. Uh, we'll leave it uh, We'll leave it for the rest of the show and for the rest of this week, and certainly we're not going to talk a ton of basketball next week with Alabama on the on the horizon. But um, I loved that first quote from, uh, from Matt McMahon, and I hope that uh, LSU fans have an open mind and, and pull for the guy and, and try to get behind the program, buy some tickets, go see him play K-State at home, and let's see if, if Matt McMahon can't bring this thing uh, up from kind of – life support. I don't know if it was dead because it's going to come right on back, but it was certainly on life support when he got here. I'm pulling for the guy and I uh, hope that the rest of you are as well. We'll take a time out when we come back. Best win and worst loss on the board and Beck wanted me to get to week nine in Survivor. Got a chance to do it. One more pick. It's on Palmer Show. You are now listening to the Hunt Palmer Show. One Bath and Closets. OneBathandClosets.com is the website. They have financing available at One Bath and Closets. If you're looking at things and you go, man, I would love a new tub to shower. I would love a new uh, bathroom renovation. I would love a brand new closet customized to what I need. Just don't know about paying for that right now up front. Well, they've got financing options. You just got to get that free consultation and ask David Duvall what he and One Bath and Closets can do for you. Go to the website, onebathandclosets.com. Click up top at that free testimonial. You'll get, get testimonials, and they're great work. The consultation is free, not the testimonial. Uh, if you get that consultation, David Duvall and his team will come in. They'll tell you what they can do for you. They'll tell you when they can have it finished by. And I can promise you this, they won't cut any corners. They're going to do it right the first time and leave the competition behind. Christmas is coming up. The holidays are coming up looking for a gift how about a brand new bathroom david vaughn his team would love to help you with that so head over to the website it's onebathandclosets.com
listening to The Hunt Palmer Show, brought to you by Rouse's Supermarkets. All right, best win, worst loss. We'll get to it. Uh, in college football, as I look at the top 25, I think the best win on the board uh, would be a team that had very little preseason expectation. A win-loss total, about five and a half. They got an early win that a lot didn't expect them to get. That was against Tennessee. And if Billy Napier wants to take that bye week, head to Jacksonville and beat the number one team in the country with the recruiting class that he's putting together, which is in the top five right now, I think that would be a huge win for Florida's football program. So I think the best win on the board would be Florida beating Georgia in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Worst loss to me, um, just feels a little sneaky. And the rest of the conference stinks, so you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt. Florida State could really do itself a lot of harm if they went to Wake Forest. Sleepy old Wake, as we learned in Omaha, the smallest uh, D1 school and lost. So I'll take the worst loss on the board, Jordan Travis and Florida State going up and losing to a very mediocre Sam Hartmanless Wake Forest team. Uh, best win on the board for me, look, you look at the schedule for the Cincinnati Bengals, and you're going through, I would say, before the season started, you would think the toughest game on their schedule is at San Francisco. Now, Brock Purdy, probably not going to play. Concussion protocol, we don't think he's going to be out there. You're going to get Sam Darnold, very likely. It changes the dynamic a little bit, but it's still at San Francisco on your 17-game schedule. Still a great defense, an offense loaded with playmakers, although Debo Samuel, probably not going to play. So you've got an opportunity to turn what's far better than a 50% proposition in August into a win. I think the Bengals going to the Bay and beating San Francisco would be the best win on the board. Worst loss is in the same division. Uh, the Ravens have been really good all year. Arizona has lost a bunch of close games. They are not good. Um, so I would say the Ravens losing in Arizona would be the worst win, the worst loss on the NFL board. So best wins, Florida over Georgia and the Bengals over San Francisco. Worst loss on the board, would be Florida State at Wake or the Ravens losing to Arizona. All right, let's get to the survivor. Beck said he would be impressed if I could get to week nine as of August. Well, if we look up, and in week one, I go out there and I, I take the Ravens. That's a winner. I took the Bills in week two. That's a winner. The Chiefs in week three. I'm going towards the top of the league here. Ravens, Bills, Chiefs, 49ers. I got the Lions in week five. The Dolphins in week six. Took Seattle in week seven. So I've really peppered the best of the best in the NFL. As I look at, at the slate this weekend, you see the Cowboys are hosting the Rams. I, I considered that one. Um, you got the Packers at home against the Vikings. I don't like either one of those teams. Titans, Falcons, no thanks. Colts, Saints, I don't think so. I've already taken the Dolphins, who are hosting New England. Can't do that. Uh, the Giants and Jets, I don't think so. Jags and Steelers, Steelers at home. I just don't feel great about that. Jacksonville has been pretty good. I settled on a road team, which is rare, and the team they're playing is not awful. But I have not used the Philadelphia Eagles yet, and I feel like this is an opportunity to do so. I'm going to take them in Washington. I don't want to take the Texans at Carolina. I don't think that's a good play. Browns and Seahawks. I took the Seahawks last week, so I'm not taking the Browns. I'm not, I can't take the Chiefs. They're in Denver. I can't take the Ravens. They're in Arizona. I'm not taking Bengals 49ers. Thought about the Chargers, Sunday night football there at home against the Bears with Badgett at quarterback. I thought about that one, but I'm just going to go with one of the best teams in the NFL. They're on the road. They're in Washington. How do we feel about that play? Is that going to get me home? 
See, this is why I I scientifically chose week nine as the last. Oh, week is that, that right? Reach it because now you're now you're in slim pickings here. However, yeah. I do think the Eagles will probably beat the Commanders. They're seven point favorites. On yeah, the road. seven and or six and a half depending on where you shop. Hertz yeah. has been a little inconsistent. He's thrown some picks. They Hasn't dominated awesome. the Dolphins last week. They did, and they did, um, which I I enjoyed. Uh, I've got some Eagles on the fantasy squad. Uh, they these two teams played in Philly. Uh, three four weeks ago, and the Eagles beat them by three. So yeah. I don't feel great about it. The Eagles, I mean, the the Commanders' defensive front is tough, and look, they're they're functional. I'm just going to count on one of the best teams in the league going on the road in division and getting it done. So we'll see if I can get that one home. That would get me to week nine. I'm going to keep going as long as I can go. We'll see. But week nine was kind of the goal, and I feel like we've got a chance to get there with the Eagles in week eight. That's going to do it for hour number one here on this Thursday. Our show is brought to you by Rouse's. I will be at Rouse's in an hour in about 10 minutes. So come on by if you're doing your weekend grocery shopping. Rouse's, Burbank, and Lee. I'll have gift cards. I'll have cups and hats and shirts, and we can just talk. It's fun. We hang out in the parking lot there. Always an enjoyable time. Maybe you can't come by and see me. Uh, get by Rouse's for your weekend groceries. Going to be gumbo weather coming up on Tuesday. The high is 55. Go ahead. Look at our new little panels here. It says Trinity on there. It just makes me think about gumbo just looking at it. Uh, Rouse's brings you our Thursday shows. We'll come back after Sports Center, And when we do, I'll get you my SEC picks against the numbers. The Hunt Palmer Show.